Right, welcome back to my podcast and also welcome back to the home of art in, in certainly London, Soho. This is Woodbury House and I've got a great, incredible guest in front of me and also an artist, not just an artist uh, as far as painting on canvases or even murals, but also a rapper, someone who's involved with music, someone that has many strings through his bow. So Bisco Smith, thank you very much for your time and I believe that you're sitting in Portugal right now in Lisbon, right? Yes, man. Thanks for having me. Um, I am in Lisbon right now. Good stuff. Sunny Lisbon, chilling. Yeah. Well, I was going to say for, for, for people that maybe know you as an artist but don't actually know you personally, originally you're from, from New York, right? I'm born in Massachusetts outside of Boston. And uh, I moved to New York in the late 90s. I grew up in the suburbs outside of New York in Connecticut. And did about 20 years in New York, went to Cali for a little bit, and now in Lisboa. Yeah, beautiful, man. Um, so, you know, a bit about America, because I think it's... Personally, when I got into the art market in 2014, one thing I sort of realized is um, I think education behind an artist and their profile as an individual is really, really important, because I believe that shapes your taste buds. Sometimes mm. you can look at a painting and have one opinion on it, or look at a mural, or look at a piece of art, or even listen to a song, to be honest. But the moment you watch a documentary on that person, the moment you would get educated about that person, the moment you listen to a free-flowing conversation, a podcast, it can, can kind of change your view on or, that piece or, of art. For better or worse, right? Yeah. I mean, how much you do, do you support that, uh, Bisco? I'm two ways about it, man. Like, personally, I like to take the art at face value, I think, um, and see how that feels. But... Yeah, sometimes I, I I can listen and tune into deeper levels and, and it makes me like the artist more, appreciate their art more. It gives it context for sure. Um, and I think, you know, I'm a creator, not a not a collector per se. So I'm I'm a, I'm a maker, not a consumer in a lot of senses. So, you know, I make that's what I do. But I think people that are really tuned in and collectors and, and, and things on that level love to know the depth. So I appreciate it. But um, I, I you know, going back to music stuff like also like the era of music when you had like some mystery and magic behind the artists, you know? And I think now everything's so touchable and accessible, which is good for a lot of things, but also little mystery and discovery might be lost. And um, when I was growing up, that was pretty special, man, discovering mystery, but may maybe it's still the same for younger people. I don't know. Yeah. Because um, I, I remember when Kanye West was rocking a lot of the time uh, for, for a while. This is, I'm, I'm going back probably about 10 years, maybe even even sooner. Um, he was wearing a, a fashion brand called Margiela. Mm. And that guy, um, I was attracted to that, that whole kind of narrative about his story because, I mean, people were telling me that he lives in the mountains and no one ever sees him. And because of that, it's almost like, wow, this. Is a pretty cool brand. So, yeah, yeah. so the era of mystery is always quite a, quite a draw sometimes. Totally. And I, I think the social media world and this era we're living in makes you feel like, at least I can say from my perspective, feel like you need to share your whole life and tell people your whole story. And that's, you know, and that's cool. And for some people, that's great. I think for others, maybe not. But, you know, personal taste kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I know this is a bit more close to home in regards to what I'm about to tell you but as you well know yesterday we celebrated uh, the Queen's uh, you know uh, reign uh, as as you know as as Queen for over I think yeah. 70 years she, she obviously passed away and she was buried yesterday point I'll get into is this 
There's a lot of people that have an opinion about the royal family. If you're British, American, whoever, everyone's got an opinion, some for good, some for bad. And the conversation comes up quite a lot of the time about Harry, you know, the, the way he's kind of detached himself slightly from, from the royal family, etc. And I think when you see them on the news, it gives you one narrative. But then when they've done the conversation with o, o for Oprah Winfrey, you got to see a different side to him. And some people said, you know what, he's a dick. But after reading that or watching that, I actually really adore him and I understand where he's coming from. Or it's the complete flip, you know. He's a really cool guy, but now listening to him, I think he's an absolute, you know, wanker. So I, I do see where you're coming from. It can it can uh, lead to different kind of opinions. For, sure. for, but, you know, we're, we're humans and I feel like everyone's entitled to their opinion and I know from my perspective, my job is not to make everybody feel a certain way about me. I do what I do, live how I live. And people love it or hate it or don't think about it. And that's okay. You know, it's not everything we do doesn't have to be for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, just just a bit about your background then. So talk to me about New York, because you said a lot of your childhood, if I'm right. Yeah, from so, New York. so where I grew up in Connecticut for middle school and high school, um, which is like for you guys, like, I don't know what you call it, but like sixth grade to 12th grade, right? From mm -hmm. college. Uh, it was the 90s, and, and graffiti was really big out in, at the time in New York, and it was bleeding through the train lines and the highways, and that really magnetized me. I had been skateboarding previous to that, so kind of been in a little, I don't know, I like mischief, I like rebellion, and I've been that way since I'm a little person, you know? And I think as I, when I moved to Connecticut from Massachusetts, I really discovered graffiti, and that that opened up the world to me. My father worked in Manhattan, so he would take us into the city all the time. And, you know, I was always magnetized by New York City, the, the, the scale, the energy, the hustle. Um, and through my middle school, high school years, we spent a lot of time, just my brother, my friends, just being in the city, skateboarding, buying fireworks, you know, like do, just doing young New York stuff. And um, yeah, then I moved there in the 90s, in the late 90s. When I moved there, I was DJing a lot to kind of give you the, the short of the story. It's been art, music, art, music, art, music. And the different iterations of my life, I've been focused on one or the other. So when I moved to New York, I was very focused on DJing. And I met, I, I, I had the opportunity to go to art school. I got into art school, thankfully, but I went there as a DJ, which was very like uh, distracting from my art. Met some rappers. They started rapping. I was DJing, started making mixtapes. And New York to me is just hip hop. Like when I go to, even in, in Lisbon, I'm like tuning into more jazz vibes, right? But when I'm in New York, I'm listening to hip hop. When I'm in LA, I'm, I'm like more on my dub, dub reggae vibes, you know? So to me, New York is just hip hop. That's how I see it. That's the filter I see it. And that's what I did my whole time in New York. And during college, I got back into painting on walls. I was rapping. Um, and really just like living full hip hop shit, man. Like, you know, doing shows. I started making records. I signed to a label. I was designing records for the, the independent hip hop world. And, um, really just like everything was hip hop, man. I, 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 it, it housed me, it fed me soulfully, pot, my, my money, everything always came from hip hop, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's just like, and it's always between art and music, you know, everything influences everything. And that's my lens on New York is rap, is hip hop. And I love that city, man. I miss that city, you know, but I'm happy here. But New York is special. It, it very much is. And I, I've got I've got to tell you, I mean, 
My background wasn't in the art market. I was just right place, right time, got approached by a very large art dealer. And as I mentioned to you, we're not really positioned as a gallery per se at the moment. We are, you know, transitioning a bit and we're, we're going to be more like a private uh, gallery. But the way we started is we only represented one artist or one artist only, a guy called Richard Hamilton or known as the New York, from the New York Times as the Godfather of Street Art. And sadly he that shadow man right the shadow, shadow man yeah. yeah and sadly he passed away in 2017 and as you well know sometimes a, a death of, of an artist um, creates a lot of urgency in collectors and fanatics they move in and the byproduct of that is you know the profile grows the pieces grow up in value and you know some big museums collectors galleries they start jumping on the back end of it and that's how you create that snowball effect but the, the point I'm making to you, uh, Bisco, is I spent a lot of time in New York. And last year, we started our mission to create a uh, documentary about street art, but specifically Hamilton. And then we just finished it off about four or five weeks ago. Um, we went over there. And there's so many great artists that have come from America, but specifically New York. I mean, like the likes of uh, Lee Quinones, Basquiat, Herring, obviously you got Andy Warhol, of course. The whole movement is basically born and nourished and grown in that city. You yeah, know? you got Futura, Kenny Scharf. I mean, there's so many great people out there. Um, funny enough, you might be familiar with a, a, a guy who used to be painting partners with Keith Herring, a guy called LA2 or Angel sure. Ortiz. He's about, to, he's about to fly over, I think, on the 30th of this month to do a big show. So there's clearly a lot of respect that certainly people in Europe and people from London have for these great art artists, including yeah. yourself. So my question to you, very long winded, but I mean, how much inspiration did you get from certain artists? And can you name a few? Oof, man. Like, I mean, you said it, Lee and Futura, I'd say are, are heavy hitters in my, my influence, you know, um, Sess, Sess from the Bronx is a big influence of mine. Um, all that like nineties, new york shit that was happening that's really when i got tuned in and people that inspired me greatly uh but i mean all of them man and i don't know if i take i don't know at this point like where direct influence comes from but you know lee i always appreciate and future because i think they they continue to and they did take it further than just doing graffiti pieces you know and and i respect them as graffiti writers but also as fine artists and I had the opportunity actually to work with Lee on some things and great guy, super inspiring, just his energy and, and him being outside of the typical graffiti stuff. And, and my work is very graffiti. Uh, what do I say? Like, it's very graffiti, my work, you know, but I, I, I try to take it further. I hope to take it further. And I appreciate those guys for taking it further, you know. Um, but then you got like all the street bombers and, and I don't know, it's just like, Everybody in New York is inspiring, man, for their own reasons. I, I think, uh, you know, L.A. inspired me, too, to say, like, I'm, when I moved to L.A., that's really where I found my fine art practice. And I would say, like, guys like Saber, Retina, that whole MSK crew, the levels they were pushing were amazing. But for me, like, the Bronx writers and then probably the L.A. writers, I think, is a, is a, is a balance of my influence for where I'm at now, you know? But... Uh, I'm just like a hip hop dude, bro. Like, like Subway Art, my brother got me that when I was probably 13 years old, you know? So, so seeing those things and, um, 
Yeah, I don't know that. All, all that school, old school, mid school, new school, whatever. It's all. I I love seeing New York smash with graffiti. You know, like during the pandemic, it was so on fire with graffiti. To me, I, I like that. Like I could see murals all day. It's cool, but I'm I, I love seeing like the destruction, and that's and New York is great for that. You know, a lot of walls get rocked really heavy in New York. It's, beautiful yeah i know a lot of our artists did start and i want to say this in the right way started as quote-unquote graffiti uh, artists but they have evolved some have stayed there but some as you say like futura for example is a prime example sure. i've got I'm, I'm blessed to have one of his tags one of his original cat tags it's about Amazing. this big and it's sure. in uh it's, it's above one of my doors uh, at home and i look at it every single day and it's my wife doesn't really get it. She's like, why, why have you got this person's signature above the door? And I said, you, you don't understand. This guy is such an important person. But then when you look at his big, beautiful canvases with the planets on it and the collaborations he's done with people like uh, Converse, etc., which I've actually got the trainers next door in my art studio here. He's such a cool artist. And when yeah. I was looking at you, it's like, you know, I, I've, I've got this off the internet. You're graffiti just uh, destructive to abstract expressiveness mm -hmm. is that how you would title yourself now well i don't i, I mean yeah i kind of push it to, to an abstract expression space i think a lot of that thinking comes from how it's made and you know I, i've never on any painting i've ever made i never wrote my name over and over again i never i never tagged the canvas my canvas work my writing work is based on songwriting it's based on automatic writing is based on finding freedom in that writing so i think when i think about abstract expressionism i think about expression moment and abstraction and i think when my my approach to the paintings like i don't sketch my paintings i don't really know what i'm doing till i'm doing them because it's a moment i'm trying to capture and i think in that thought process puts it closer to an abstract expressionist than you know something something else typical graffiti per se like i could write my name over and over and over again or wh whatever that is and that's graffiti and i appreciate that but where i've taken it to for myself is more of more of a using my hand style that i developed forever also with the freedom of writing and for me i think that's a huge piece that that some people understand some people don't understand and that's that's whatever it is it's all good but um, yeah, there's a lot of expression in the writing and in the motion and, and, and the freedom, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you're doing radio sound waves live when you're painting. Because I, I did read up on, on your bios and some other articles. And yeah, you're, I mean, look, everyone gets influenced by music. I mean, even myself, I train this morning. What's the first thing I do? Slam on some music and rev it up really high because it gets, it, it gets you in that moment, you know. And I know artists are, are, are the same. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, how, like, I, I know you're a rapper as well and a DJ and you've wrote music and you've done album covers, etc. but how much and how specific is the music when it comes down to doing your, your artwork? I think it depends on, um, what I'm working on, particularly, uh, where I'm at. I, I don't listen to anything with lyrics. I can't because I was too much thinking in my mind and I just need beats that basically, when there's a beat on my mind from years of training on, 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 like, on some rap lyrics, like my brain just starts to think of things in a pattern of rhythm, you know? I wouldn't call myself a rapper where I'm at these days. I think that was a, that was a moment. That was years of work that went into that. But, but uh, 
Yeah. So like if I'm doing a specific project, like for instance, I did a project in New York once where I put the NPC, which is the beat machine with the record player. I go record shopping, buy a record, sample it, start a beat, paint the painting to that beat, go back, work on a beat, go back, work on a painting. So those were like completely influenced by each other. Right. And that whole project was based on each painting is a beat that I made based on sampling these pieces and stuff like that. But most times I'm just putting on you know, some some sort of instrumental. And I approach the painting the same way, like if we were like ciphering with some rap, you know, I'd just wait for the beat to drop and there's a moment to come in. And I, and I, I use that even for my painting. Like I, I have the brush dripping until the rhythm hits, you know, the drop comes and it's like, wow, time to go. And, you know, so the music is, is a motivator. Um, and it, it opens my mind to, to the writing pieces too. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a, a name earlier, which I've got to say, we own two of his paintings and I absolutely adore what he does. Um, and yeah, there's there's mixed views from a lot of collectors or a lot of people that in the art world about the future of his of his market. Uh, I, I'll just t- tell you who it is. It's, it's Retina. And I do see when I saw your artwork for the very first time, I knew it was different because it had a different feeling to it. And it was, a, I would say it's a bit more aggressive, but in like... You know, it's it's it, now I know it's connected to the music a lot more than those beats. I understand, yeah. but there was that air of retina somewhere in there. You know, sure. Um, sure. You know, it, one, what do you think of his market? Two, do you know him? And, and three, would you say that's a good connection? You know, between you you two. Uh, I I don't know him. Um, his market, I don't think much about. I hope for him he's okay. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I love his work. I think he's. Uh, his rise from good graffiti writer to, to really impactful fine artists is special. And, um, you know, I appreciate the guy. So I don't, I mean, everyone got something to say about everybody. I don't, I don't pay attention. I just do my work, you know? Um, but influence wise, like you could look at his influence and take it back to certain other writers to that style too. I think he was the one that took it, took it to a public. I, I don't even know if I would say that, but, uh, there's a lot of people that make that kind of work using writing, using hieroglyphics. And I think he just caught the, the main stream of that. Right. Um, but I, I think it's, it's a fair comparison. I mean, I think where he's rooted is graffiti, it's rollers, it's, it's dripping, it's things that have been in the culture and style vocabulary for forever. And mm-hmm. he pushed it his way, you know, and I, I respect that. Yeah. So uh, I've had on this podcast, Alan Ketz, uh, Risk, LA2, Al Diaz, uh, Days, Crash, you know, I've had a lot of different artists. And um, one thing I was pulled into the Richard Hamilton market about was, yeah, again, you know, the art, etc. But it was the culture in the 70s and 80s and obviously in the 90s. And as you say, there was graffiti there was music, there was hip hop, there was the beat poppers, you know, there was, there was loads of different, there was a lot of energy, you know, but also behind that, there was unfortunately at the time, but you don't want to change it because it wouldn't have uh, influenced the music and the art as much. There was the crime, there was the drugs, there was the gangs, there was the violence, etc. I know you right. wasn't back in the seventies and eighties, but how much of, was that more of, was that a thing when you was in New York? Was there kind of gangs and, uh, you know, was there a lot of cl- crime with influence in music as well as your art? I mean, different gangs, you know, you're talking about like motorcycle gangs from the seventies and I'd say more of like 
you know, Bloods and Crips and that kind of thing. Like New York in the 2000s and the 90s. I don't know nothing about that. I have no involvement in that. Like, um, was New York dangerous when I was there for some time? Then it got really nice and got really developed and a lot of money came in. I think that that era is very romanticized, you know. I didn't I didn't live in it. I visited it. My father worked in it. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't. I I wasn't there for that, but it's still New York. I feel like you know you just got to keep your eyes open all the time in New York. You, you never know. It's not it's not Johannesburg, South Africa, but depending on where you are, you know you got it's still got an energy to it, and you never know what what wild animals are in the jungle, you know. And, and I think that's just. I know London's the same. I feel like London's a yeah. busy city. I don't know. I mean, I, I have friends and I, I work with the gallery out there. That I hear things about London in current day that you just got to keep your eyes open. You know? Absolutely. City stuff. So, and I, yeah, that influence, uh, I don't know because I wasn't there for that, but you know, from darkness comes light. Right. And I think, I think, that that weight and that heaviness really birthed something special man yeah that's a phenomenal quote and just to round off kind of new york and also some of these artists that i i reference i mean richard hamilton yeah, i got let me sorry to cut you up i i'm i'm very humbled that you just listed all those artists and then put me on this podcast because my era is later than all those people from cat to days to everybody and i grew up especially with someone like Cat, like these people really culturally impactful in terms of spreading graffiti and, and impacting the world and changing the world with that. So, you know, I, I appreciate you speaking with me and, you know, being in the context with those artists because they're, they're special people, you know? Yeah, listen, um, it, it just made sense. I mean, as I continue doing the podcast and reaching out to great artists and anyone affiliated to, to that genre or to this world, your name gets them popping up. And the other thing as well is I really enjoy your style. And there's a um, organization in Knightsbridge called something bones, something bones. They, um, they have one of your pieces in there. They, they, they don't just promote or sell oh, up. I know. You're, yeah, yeah, I know They're like a kitchen about. place uh, as well. Yeah. They have a gallery in there called the arcs. A-R-X. Yeah. So they have, Whatever those kitchens are, small bone kitchen. Or small something bone. Like that's that. it. That's it. That's it. And the owners of small bone have a gallery. Yeah, and that was that was one of the first times that I stood next to one of your your canvas works, and it was of a big scale and size. I was like, this this is powerful stuff." And I started oh, started reading, and it looked really cool next to a very 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 expensive modern kitchens, and then your piece of art. <laughs> that that contrast oh, between. Oh. You know, you know, super modern stuff to you know, uh, you know, street art, graffiti, whatever you want to label it as, that really suited it. It was a, it was a great kind of uh, hand to glove moment, you know. I'm glad you caught that, and I'm glad the scale got you because for me, all I want to do is make big paintings. They're harder to find homes for, but they're coming from graffiti. Like, I mean, ten feet is not big, you know what I'm saying? But in, in the fine art world, ten feet is big. But I think. One of my first impactful moments I can remember in a museum was standing next to Jackson Pollock piece. And not necessarily for like the splatter and the, and the energy in his work, but the scale was just like, damn, this is like a, a mural I'm standing next to, but it's a painting. And I, I love that scale. Man. So I'm glad you were able to have that physical interaction with the scale. You know? And I, I think certainly with your work, and this is just my opinion, um, I think the bigger 
it is, the more impactful it's going to be just because of the, the, the energy and also the aggression behind it, you know. I don't think you get to appreciate it as much if it was on a smaller kind of, you know, scale, you know, uh, a limited edition print or even a small original. I think the bigger it is, the more the more it kind of shocks you into realising how great it is. So, yeah, Lee Canales is actually on our uh, documentary. Um, the moment it's out, I'll send it. Send you a copy. He's been on my cool. podcast as well. He's got, I mean, that guy out of everybody I probably ever spoke to, who's got mad amount of energy. <laughs> you know, he's he's just on another, 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 another planet with energy. So you mentioned about Lee, but if I can ask you one more question about you know the influence, Richard Hamilton. You said straight away the Shadow Man. How much do you know about his work? What do you think about his his work and his and his, and his kind of market? Maybe? I mean, in, in truth, I don't know much. I, I know Shadow Man. I know like he's one of the first to sort of bring that kind of thing to the street, and I respect that. But I, I don't, I don't know much. You know, cool. I, I know of him. I can tell you his work when I see it, um, but I don't have much context for who he was. You know, and and for me, like go back to the beginning of the conversation. I don't need to I, I like the work i respect it the, the splatter the motion the shadow the, the, the whole context where he put it that to me was dope enough and, and it, it feels a certain way i like it you know that's good i like to ask uh, artists but especially people from america their thoughts and feelings behind hamilton and a few others because you know you guys you guys are are, are from the same place he made his name so that, that's yeah but i don't you know when i think of lee i think of futura i think of days i think of these guys like that's my influence and to me as graffiti as lettering and lettering is really the thing that caught my attention and caught my eye and kept me with gasoline in my engine you know like i didn't really i think i don't think i learned about shadow men until later in, in life where i had already been 10 plus years deep into graffiti learn the history know all the hip-hop shit and then i learned about shadow men because i don't think he was put I mean, when I was growing up, magazines, the videos, the, the books, he wasn't in those next to Lee and Futura and all that stuff. I, I Not that I remember. Maybe in, I don't know, some of the left field books, but the big books, he, he wasn't in, you know? Yeah. Subway, obviously, he was on the subway. And, um, so, yeah, I think he's different from graffiti. I think that these guys that you're mentioning is graffiti writers. And, and maybe not anymore now. That maybe I have to put them more as like just rounded out artists. But Richard Hamilton existed with street art well before that term street art you know maybe he's one of the first i don't i don't know yeah 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 for sure so um yourself um thinking about starting with graffiti and obviously you know that that's dovetailed into music and it's come back to graffiti or or art etc from where you started to where you are now, you've achieved so much. I mean, looking at some of the shows that you've done in collaboration, so I'll just read out a few. Nike, Red, MCM, Coach, Adidas, the SLS, and I've stayed at these hotels, the SLS hotels around the world, Hypebeast, etc. Then you've, you've actually had shows in New York City, LA, Tokyo, London, Miami, Berlin, Seattle, Hong Kong, and that's just to name a few. I mean, do you ever look back and think, wow, what a journey this has been? And did you ever plan for this, Bisco? Uh, never planned for it. But at some point, I imagined it. You know what I mean? At some point, it was like, I, I'm, I could do that. Uh, and yeah, I do sip. I mean, yeah, I was recently, a lot of times I'm painting, I'm just like, man, I can't believe I get to do this shit. Like, because I, it's a, 
yeah, I don't know how to say it. Like, I, I'm grateful for it all the time. I can't believe graffiti took me this far. I, I never, when I was young doing it, we didn't do it because there was a road to success or there was a museum to show it or there was walls that we could make a living to do. It's just like what we enjoyed doing. <clears throat> and uh, over the years, it became a viable something. But yeah, man, I, I when you read that list and I think about, I just came back from Lagos, Nigeria, making art and, you know, like, I'm flying there like I would have never thought my graffiti particularly would take me to Lagos, Nigeria for projects or to Hong Kong. So it's a trip, man. And, and uh, you know, it's brought me to some highs and some lows. And, and, you know, I was able to, like, take my family to a museum. I was meeting with the curators. My parents came and, you know, they, they got me out of some situations. I've been in some situations with the law where, like, who would have known it would take us to the museum talking to curators, you know? And and it's funny for them because they for a long time obviously they didn't want me doing what I was doing, but it just never stopped. And and um, I'm glad it didn't, you know. But I think the world changed with me at the same time, and you know I'm grateful for that. But I I didn't plan it. I'll say when I moved to LA, I met an artist. I moved to LA because the, my who's now my wife, but but at the time my girlfriend she got into uh, grad school in LA, and I was like tired of New York a little bit. I was just doing the same hip hop routine the shows are getting tired the, the, I needed something fresh you know so I moved out to LA and I met an artist that was actually like making a living and owned a home off of art and he's not a famous artist and I was just like wow you could do this I didn't even know that was a possibility that, that you could make a living as an artist I thought you had to be like you know a dead person or <laughs> man and I knew like Espo and Future I knew these guys were doing it WK Interact like there was there was a group of people doing it but I didn't really think of it like that i don't know what i thought but i just like i don't without like making my dumbing myself down i don't think that much i just do you know so i've been i've been doing doing making records just hustling working and then i had this moment like, damn you could actually do that and so i started to focus my energy a little bit more on the paint and less on the music and and you know had it started envisioning where this could take me and i'm a firm believer if you can see it it can happen you just got to do the work to get there, but you got to be able to see yourself in it. And I've seen all this, you know what I'm saying? I've seen it. So I, I guess at some point I could start, when it started to become a viable thing, I was like, oh, I could see where it could go. Then I tuned into what the world was doing with it, the successes people were having, and it all just started to be possible. And, you know, being in New York, being in LA, these cities are like, in, in London where you're at, these are like the majors. So you connect with the major leagues and there's a lot of possibility with the majors, you know? And, and I think, you know, you pay to play the rent you pay in London, the, the 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 rent I pay in New York. Like these are high level things, the highest in the world. But we get the best connectivity, and I and I think a lot of those opportunities, I use SLS. These things are because I I've, I I uh, exist in those worlds. You know, so yeah. that's a long answer for you, man. But I, I, I maybe. No, it, it's great. And do you know what? The, I love the way you were talking. Out. It was almost a bit like. Um, the secret, you know, visualization, the, the, the law of attraction. And, you know, there's, you know, I box, um, I fight, I've had 16 fights. My last fight was in March. And one thing I know about business and boxing, it's all about the visualization. It's also about the hard work, the physical hard work, the belief, etc. 
Um, and sometimes when things are stacked against you, that's when you need to double double down and actually think, no, I'm going to get through it. And, you know, your, your language was about the visualization. And at the end of the day, as an artist, it's what you're creating, but also at the same time, this is your career. This is where you make your money, you know? So, you know, how how much you sit there sometimes and think, right, I'm going to visualize the future five or 10 years time from now. This is what I'm going to be doing, or this is the collab, or this is the opportunity that I'm going to have. How, how much of that do you do? Lately, not as much as I should, but because I've been in it, you know, I do it when things slow down and then I start to really think forward, you know, um, <clears throat> I could say like, I never really had a dream and my only dream was to have a family and raise my family and support my family through creativity, whatever that is, whether that's photography, design, painting, whatever. I just wanted to live on my own terms, doing things that I wanted to do and be able to support a family. So I reached that goal. My kid is good. My wife is good. We all are. Life is good. So I actually am in a space where I'm starting to re reimagine what the next five or 10 years are. And I think it it's like waves. You know, you see it, you ride the wave of your fight. You see it, you fight. And then after the fight, you got to figure out I mean, I don't know how how timed out you are in your life in terms of like the next three years plan. But for me, I'm like a quarterly person. I'm like three months ahead in my sometimes a year for an exhibition or something. But I'm not good at thinking too far in advance. I actually get like uh, anxiety about it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a planner. I'm really anti-planning internally. I know it works, but I don't really do it. But I'm a believer. And so I'm not like a... It's nothing is like, oh, I want to work with Nike and that's my dream. And in five years, I'm going to work with Nike, but it's a level I want to be at. And that level includes working with these brands that I'm not even thinking about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's I, like I levels, but I saw the secret, man. And I was like, oh shit, I've been doing that. Like I had already been tuned into that, you know, and I've seen it happen over and over and over in my life. And to take it back to the writing in my songwriting, my painting writing, my day-to-day writing, my journal writing, I write gratitude. All these things are like me navigating life forward. It's like driving the ship and I'm writing, I'm, I'm telling myself the things I need to hear, like um, the best days are ahead and rise up. And you know, all these things are like my internal voice. I'm trying to tweak always to just be positive and push myself forward. Because I think in our world, it's very easy to go into the darkness. There's a lot of weight. There's a lot of bad things happening. Um, and, and humans, revolution, we stick to the fear because the fear is what drives us, right? If everyone felt great every day, we would have been eaten by the lions and never ran. So we have this fear that's easier to go into. So I'm like steadily working in my all my art to pull myself up out of that and to, to drive the ship forward and see like the, the, the next turn. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. Someone, someone told me something a long time ago. Maybe it was from the secret. I don't know. But. Like when you're driving and you know you leave point A, we're going to point B, but you got to drive through the mountains. Your headlights can only see so far, but you trust that when you go around that corner, you're still going to get to point B, but you can only see, you know, before the next turn type of thing. And I, I feel like that's how I try to see it. Like I trust I'll get to point B, but on the way, it's like I can only see so far, but as long as inside of me, I'm like, I'll, I'll get there, I'll get there, you know? Yeah, it's it's great. It's a great metaphor. I mean, you could use it on so many things. Like when we take off, I mean, look, you, you know, you were living in New York. Now you're living in Portugal. And when you took off from from New York uh, on the way to Portugal, your pilot could not definitely not see all the way from New York to to Portugal. But he trusts 
that I'm glad you made it. Yeah, yeah. As the, as the as as he goes through the sky and he's going through different altitudes and he's coming across turbulence and there's clouds and going through a storm, he knows he's just going to ride that out, but eventually he's going to get to the destination and land safely, which he did clearly. So I well, think we hope we hope right. Like I've had moments in the last couple of years, I, I got in some pretty um, scary car situations and man, life like that could, could just be over so fast. You know what I mean? So. I think, yeah, we tr- I trust definitely. And I'm also aware that the tightrope we walk, you could just get knocked off at any, any single moment. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Is, it's Absolutely. like a dichotomy of living, but that's human, the human experience, I suppose. You know? Yeah, the paradox between, you know, being safe, but also at the same time, you've got to push yourself in order to really fulfill life, you know? Um, you, sure. you you mentioned about you know uh, like a, a bit of a limiting belief that you had back then but not so much now and to be honest I had the same sort of belief system which is you know artists only become great after they've died and a lot of the time that is quite true I mean Hamilton is is a clear example of that Basquiat, Andy Warhol, Keith Haring but there are some artists today which, you know, are clearly absolutely smashing it out of the park and they're living and breathing. We mentioned the likes of Futura, but then you've got people like Cause, yeah, Jeff Koons, da- Damien Hurst. Um, you've got some, some big, big people out there. And what do you think the difference is? Why do you think someone like, I don't know, Keith Haring, for example, was still, you know, probably quite wealthy in his, in his, in his day, but it's nowhere near where it is today. And then you've got someone like Damien Hurst who... Anything he does, anything he touches, just seems to turn to gold. Like, why do you think that happens? Well, I don't know. For, I guess like to kind of go back to the people you mentioned. I think Basquiat, I think Warhol, these guys were uh, uh, revered while they were living, for sure. Their work wasn't going for $10, $20, million, but they were respected and revered while they were, while they were alive. And I think it's unfortunate they didn't get to see it through. Had they lived longer, they might be where... Jeff Koons is at it at this point as living artists. I, I think art and the art market are two separate things, right? And I, I think brand name and uh, investment is, is a huge thing. And we could talk about the creative side, the, the beautiful art side, the human experience side, but then there's a money side. And scarcity is a thing. That's how the art market works, right? And when people die, they're never going to make work again. So those things grow in value. And then People decide that, I mean, you know, the game, I don't have to explain it, but I think a lot of that is money, man. And, and, and nomadic desire, like, oh, if I have a Warhol, everyone's going to love me because I have a Warhol. It's like people that are into, you know, like fashion shit. Like, look at my shirt. I paid a thousand dollars for it. It could look like a $3 shirt that I'm wearing now, but I could have the same shirt. But if you know, you know, and then, you know, I'm a guy that got a thousand dollar shirt and I'm the man. I got a Warhol. I'm the man. Like, I think... I think it's way beyond the art. I think it's a market. I think it's a it's an investment and positive, negative. I don't know. I, I think the only negative I could find is if people that are related to the artists are not making any sort of income. You know, they take someone who died, sell his painting for a hundred thousand times more than it was sold originally, and who sees that profit? Like at least the music business, there's profit sharing and, and there's licensing and there's all this kind of stuff but the art business is like man people are making so much economy off the back of these dead artists that like live their life and express themselves and who sees that money you know what i mean i think that's to me the, the only negative side other than that like legacy is incredible i think we all make shit you know uh, like 
what we're trying to do is, I think, live beyond ourselves and beyond our years in some strange way in everything we do, right? So maybe remove the money. Think about Basquiat. Think about Warhol. Their names are more popular than ever right now. And that's amazing. These guys made art in their time and their shit is super respected and super valuable in our our culture. And that's dope, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. So I, I'm really glad you mentioned about the money side, the investment side, the, the, the other side to the art market that I've got to be honest, you know, if you have had this conversation, I mean, you seem like a really open-minded guy and a very cool guy and someone who's quite, you know, got his feet firmly on the ground. But there, I, I, I have had some conversations with some artists and some collectors, for example. The moment you talk about the whole money side or the investment, they can become quite offended by it. But then there's other artists I've spoken to who's like, yeah, like, obviously we're doing it to create, but we're also doing it because it is a business and I need to feed myself and also my family. You know, I've got goals and aspirations. And like it or not, you know, unfortunately in this world, unless you're going to be- become one with nature, nothing happens unless you've got a bit of money around you, you know, it gives, gives, you, it gives you options. So you as, as a creator, so I want to ask you like, probably the same question but from like two different sides of the coin how much like when you're creating do you ever think to yourself right look i need to buy a new house i need to do this so therefore i need to do 20 paintings this month how how do, how do you how do you think about you know the business side, side of stuff uh, bisco man that's a big question uh i like to say when i'm making work the best work comes when i'm not thinking about anything economics you know uh i i have a child i have health care i have all these things now in portugal is cheaper but you know like living a life as a human you got to think about money but i'm trying very hard to get to the place where there's enough money that it feels like i could just work you know and and I, most days that is how it is but you know i'd be lying if i said there wasn't sometimes thoughts of like okay not like i gotta buy a house but the stream is slow right now. You got, we got to speed up the stream. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's less about, there's no magic number. There's no magic need. I mean, as long as the needs are met, I'm good. And I think the purest is making art and letting the business happen afterwards. I like doing business. I like talking money. I'm not scared of it. I'm not offended by it, but I, I, it, it's better when the purity is done for the art and then the business to me happens later, you know? Um, but you know, none of this shit was like, I was never like, Oh, I'm going to be an artist because I could be rich or I'm going to be an artist. Like I was already painting all the time because I just like paint graffiti was done because the adventure, the camaraderie, the homies, the, the, the rebellion paint, the product, not the product itself, but I mean like the final piece and the, the, the cultural shit it involved me in. So the fact that there's just money now is the added bonus. If it disappeared and I had to make money some other way, I'll find my way and I'll probably still paint. I'll go back to walls more. You know what I mean? So I don't know, man. I, it's The art game is a funny game. It's a weird game. It's a beautiful game. It allows us to live in, in, in great ways and connect with great people. So yeah, I, I don't know. That's like a long-winded question but or a long-winded answer, but... I am far from offended when we talk about money, man. I think it's real. I think being where we're at in 2022, you can be a small business owner and, you know, make 
do dope shit from your studio with employees and make something amazing and also feed families and, and what's wrong with that you know what i mean i i think where i where it starts to get dodgy is like sucks for these people that you know they come out of like i don't know anybody like this but these are stories i hear like come out of grad school sell three paintings for two hundred thousand dollars get pushed up in the market and then turn around and can't sell paintings again for two years ever for that price ever again and their whole shit falls out you know i started selling paintings for a hundred dollars you know what i mean and now it's it's got to a point where there's much higher value and but it was a growth it wasn't like oh let's plug this person in let's make them a commodity let's sell their work as a commodity fully commodify them and then spit them out once they're not valuable anymore and i think that happens and i think that happens in music that happens in art in all art forms i think that happens like predatorial investment growth you know what i'm saying and i think that's real and i, I don't know anyone i didn't go to grad school for art i don't know that world but i hear of it and i know artists that go from selling from 10,000, they get hyped and put a $50,000 price tag on it, sell that once, it can never sell it again. And they're like, shit, what do I do? You know, so money's weird, man. But it's also, it's a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? I, I, I know what you mean. There's an artist that I remember. It's not someone I, I've dealt with, but uh, Ostrowski. It's on mm -hmm. white, white canvas and it's got basically just a border. And it's very, very minimalistic, very minimalistic. And I, I can see it, what it would work in someone's house or collection but at one stage some of the canvases fair size they were going for 300 400 and it was almost like they it got pumped up his, his market so much and now these same canvases they've gone all the way down to like 30 40 grand which is still a lot of money but nowhere near where they are today and there are investment strategies probably by certain individuals by certain galleries or by certain organizations where they just pump up an artist and then they smash and grab and, and then they fall out but I was going to ask you this, actually, Bisco, like, you know, um, you being an artist, but also a businessman and also probably dealing with a different range of clientele from your from your your fanatic, you know, follower, then your collector who's buying your work because it is affiliated or it reminds them of a retina or it reminds them of a daze or a crash or something like that. That's why you're in their portfolio. But then there must be another type of collector or buyer, which is like an investor, they're speculating that you, your canvases in the next yeah. two, three, four, five years are probably going to rise up in value because of what you're, what, what you're doing. How do you feel when, you know, an investor buys art for the long-term gains? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I keep art for myself for the long-term gains too. So if mine grows, then I got the investment on my side too. I'm not just selling all of it, you know what I'm saying? So I, I understand that mindset. And I, I, I can appreciate it, you know. Uh, I don't think my work is at a price point where people are just hiding their money in it and hoping it grows. I think, I think you have to enjoy the work to own it. If you want to, if you want an investment, there's artists that are, you know, at an extra zero or whatever, whatever it is. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I'm yet to meet someone that's like, I'm just buying your shit because I think in five years it's going to be more valuable. I'm sure that happens through the galleries or something. And, you know, at the end of the day, man, that's going to put food on my table. And I, I hope their bet pays off, too, because then my bet will pay off that I got in my archives. You know what I mean? But I, I'm I'm not mad at it. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. not mad. I, I, I almost appreciate it, man. Like, I'm glad people feel it is valuable enough to put their economy behind it and hope that it grows you know what i mean yeah i, I i've certainly seen since uh, the start of covid where 
lockdowns were imposed and the byproduct of that sadly was companies organizations institutes they were falling by the wayside you know they couldn't survive there was no revenue people losing their jobs people losing their homes i mean it was a real shit show for a long time and it was horrendous for a lot of people yeah obviously covid itself but you know what people don't talk about enough is the uh you know the mental health aspect of it and also like people literally losing their jobs etc and and uh, it was it was just horrendous but what i noticed being in the art world there were people putting out money out the banks you know the typical savings accounts or maybe even some, some stocks that they didn't believe in no more and they were storing their wealth in you know original artworks by blue chip artists and i think there has been a shift of that you know yeah yeah i think so i think yeah, I mean, even like crypto, right? It's like people just stashing money in different places and, and hoping that it grows, you know? But I think blue chip, you know, man, there's people that buy paintings, they keep them in the warehouse, they never see them and they sell them in 10 years. Like, it's just, it's an investment flip, you know what I mean? And when you have economy at that level, you want to keep it all at the bank or you want to put it in different things. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know, it's, just, you know, but the pandemic was a weird time. It still is a weird time, but yeah, what a weird time. How did that affect you, the pandemic? Well, I, my wife and I had our, our a child three weeks before lockdown, so that was weird. Like it was really weird. It had some silver linings, but you know, having a new life to care for and thinking like we're in New York City, it was toxic. People were dying, the sirens were booming, and I'm just like trying to keep this little person alive and try not to walk outside and get everybody sick. It was tough, man. It was really tough isolating as a, as a new parent you're supposed to be around your grandparents supposed to be with your family like none of that shit so it was that was really hard and and right before the baby came we had just doubled the studio i opened the gallery on the side of the studio we uh we doubled our rent at our crib because we were having this family like let's live at a level right and then the pandemic hit and i was like oh shit like you know how's art who's gonna buy art now i don't got a job you know what i'm saying and Fortunately, the market went the other way, and you know it was it was a hard time personally as a parent. Beautiful too. We spent a lot of time as a family. That I think maybe had that not happened, we would have I would have been traveling still for murals and projects a lot like I was previously. But I think psychologically, it, it was tough, and I can't tell if we like spun out to Lisbon and I like you know. We did about a year of the pandemic in the city, then went upstate New York for about a year and then spun out to Lisbon. And I'm like, shit, I think we finally landed. But having a kid in the pandemic at the same time was like complete whirlwind. And uh, but the art art sustained us. Uh, so it was good in that sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you were able to still sell some uh, some some art over over social media, I guess. Well, a lot of art, man. Through a lot of gallery through galleries and through social media and you know, we, I, I released prints and stuff like smaller collections to the studio about quarterly. And that, and that was really well received. And um, yeah, I think in general, people didn't know where to they weren't spending money eating out, going to vacation. And, you know, so there was a little more disposable income. But psychologically, man, pandemics for you, I'm sure, too. You know, it's a weird time. Man. Yeah, very weird time. Um, I spoke to Cope 2 has been on my podcast, and he actually said that during the, the, the pandemic, he started selling more than, than ever before. So they're, they're, like you said, there has been silver linings for a lot of people. But sometimes when you're in a what I call a conventional role or job, you know, these people were, were affected badly. So, um, 
yeah, look, listen, life can be a bit of a cruel place sometimes. 100%, man. Yeah. Can I ask you this question, right? So yep. going from being, you know, a, um, you know, an artist in, in its purest sense, you know, on the streets, then obviously working with galleries and big organizations to, to commercialize your work. But then also like being a rapper and a DJ. I mean, look, I listened to some of the tunes last night. You've got uh, some records, uh, Castles in the Sky, Atlantic Sky, Jackson P, which I think that was a collaboration with somebody else. Uh, I mean, you know, you're not just a rapper. You're very, very good. You know, really good at what you do. Are you born with this natural talent and skill to do both of these things, creativity, or was it something that you had to nurture over time, you know, really work on it? I I think I would say nurture. Thanks for the compliment, man. I'm glad you listened to some tunes. But yeah, I'd say nurture for sure. You know, I'm never afraid to like put my work into the world, right? And and I had been recording, I mean, I've been writing rap since shit, man, I don't know. I can remember being in middle school, listening to the teacher talk, and I'm like taking her words and writing songs out of it, you know? And this is like, I'm like 12, 13 years old, you know? So I spent a lot of time writing in just, do, yeah, it's time. And I was not out the gate, like the dopest graffiti writer. I was not the best rapper. I was not the best DJ, but I like to work. And I'm one of those, my personality is rewarded when I work. You know, I feel good when I work. I think it, it's for better or worse. It's like uh, part of how I I don't want to say identity. I don't know what the word I'm searching for, but I feel good when I work. So I like to, if you look at how many records I made in the 12 or something years I was making records, it's a lot of music I put out into the world. And same with art, same same with graffiti. So I think it's more work and, and passion than it is like, you know, I have friends that are amazing painters, man. Like they could just do anything. And I was definitely not that guy, you know? And I'm still not that guy. I found my thing. I can do my thing, but I can't just paint anything and um rap is specific you know what i mean so i don't know music i don't know how to write music per se but i could write raps and i could write songs and um you know yeah definitely not natural though a lot of work yeah it's like going back to a name that i mentioned earlier someone like uh damien hurst it, it does i mean he's got so many different mediums and different styles and different things that he comes up with and it's it's a bit. Sometimes I think about it. I think that's a, it's quite a very unusual and crazy because you're like Hamilton. When I said 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 his name, you said Shadow Shadow Man, right? That's yeah. what he's known for. So yeah, he does like one one thing. Yeah, right? and then you got you got I know Retina. I, I just see he's like he's you know uh, his his black text. You know uh, that's what he's known for. And when you've got someone that just can do everything, it's like, it's a bit, it's a bit freaky at the same time, you know? And I, I love that there's people that can do that. And I, I almost aspire to do that. You know what I mean? Because I think when we start to talk about market and money, it, it puts things in boxes, you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, I don't know, I appreciate the freedom in, in some of these artists that are just like, fuck it, today I'm going to do paintings with, glass balls reflecting them with flowers and then tomorrow i'm gonna cut a pig in half and you know what i'm saying like you, like this shit is amazing that there are artists that can do that and still their market is behind them and supports them i i, I appreciate that and maybe would even aspire to that freedom you know yeah do you know uh, going back to your collabs okay so I, I i i believe of all the conversations podcasts and research that i've done this whole collab collaboration culture 
has really taken off in the last few years. I mean, mm. there are some people that have been masters at making shit like this happen. I mean, Kanye West. On a brand level. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like Virgil, obviously, sadly, he passed away. But there's so many iconic people now. And even these great music artists or rappers. I mean, Drake, I mean, he's made so many great collaborations with loads of different entities in, in the arts world. Um, how important do you think it is to collaborate with people like, I know, like Nike or Adidas, etc.? Because the way I see it is it pulls in a new demographic into into your art. But from, from an artist's perspective, your perspective... How important are collaborations? I don't know. I'm not sure if I, if I feel there. Depends on what you want from, from this whole thing, right? I think when you get a project with Nike or Adidas and people know it, for some reason, it gives you viability. Like, oh, Nike chose you, so now you're dope. You know what I mean? And I think those cosigns help support shit further. Uh, is it important? I think it's like, what is that? Is it important to make money? It helps making money. You know what I'm saying? It helps grow the audience. Is it important as a creative? I don't know. I think it depends on what you want in the world. And like mm. Kanye wants to make fashion and it accessible to everybody. So yeah, go, go with the gap. You know what I'm saying? Or go with whoever he's with. Um, but I, you know, I don't know, man. I think it's to each his own. But if you, for money and economy, that, that's you're playing at the highest capitalistic ways. Like, you know, okay, let's connect with the gap or let's connect with whoever the fuck. And it's the most, it's like our culture of, it makes me think of extreme capitalism. And I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm a capitalist, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I, I make money, but yeah, that's just, I, I don't know. I don't know how to say it without sounding negative. It's not negative. And I enjoy it. I like the process. I, I, before I was a painter and a fine artist, I was a graphic designer. I worked for years running my own small business freelance design situation so i always was talking numbers writing proposals all this kind of stuff and as a designer when you work with brands or clients there's a lot to learn like if you're like i i want you to design something for woodbury house well i need to go learn what woodbury house is i need to dive into that world i need to understand the vocabulary behind it and, and, and the aesthetics and everything and i think as an artist, it's easy to be in your vacuum and just do what we do and stay in our little lane. But when you start to work with these other clients and the collaboration, it opens things up. And, and, and there's a lot to learn in that process and, and good people to connect with in that process. So maybe, it, yes, for commerce, it helps. For connectivity, it helps. For visibility, it helps. So, I, yeah, it's positive. Let's say positive. Yeah. Um, and I think you touched on something there, which I do, definitely do agree on. It, it gives you a bit of validation. It's a bit like social proof, right? Yeah, Look, exactly. my name's Steve Sully, and if I were to do some paintings today, no one knows who I am, right? And it would, it would probably take me a while, as an artist, I'm saying, it would take me a while for anyone to appreciate my work, maybe never. But if Nike's suddenly done a collaboration with steve and sully here right here it probably would attract some people because they're going to go well i don't really know much about his art and his art is not so good or it is okay but because nike have validated them yeah, it probably exactly. gives me a reason yeah. to, to collect them and someone like nike is a huge collective culture behind a brand like nike which is a, it's a great reason not only reason but like you're tapping into a brand that's got like i don't think gap has solid collectors of gap products that sell on three times over on the second market you know what i'm saying but like someone like nike you're the audience that they hold 
is a collector base of, of culture. So that's a good good world to, to be shown some light. In, you know what I mean? I'm going to ask you a bit of a hard question, but I, I thought, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Nike yeah. or Adidas? Which one did you prefer working with? Uh, working with? I mean, Adidas, I didn't work directly through Adidas with the, the stuff I did with them. But, I mean, Nike... The people were great, and and the way I got the project were amazing. So if I had to think about project wise and the humans that were involved, I'd say Nike because it was working with them. I was just more in tune with the people. It was a lot more more uh, back and forth. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's cool. Um, but and- I'm not. I'm. I should say like, what am I? I'm wearing Sacconis right now. You know what I mean? And what I paint in is Nike SBs. So I like the white canvas Nike SBs. I, I keep them collected, all of them with the paint on them and shit. So I think Nike because I just wear, I straight up wear their brand more. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, right now I've got some Jordan 1s on and they're definitely by far, you know, I know they're called Jordan 1s, but they're by far best, you know, best Nikes ever. I just love them. Nike kind of is, is dope, you know? Yeah. So. So what 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 keeps you motivated and also creating? I know music has a massive part in that influence, but look, listen, you're all human. I'm human. You're human, and there are days where you have down days. You feel a little bit, you know, stuck in a rut. What keeps you motivated, Bisco? I mean, some days on those days, I, I uh, okay. First, for motivation is like I said before, like I feel good when I'm making things. So when I'm down, if I make something, I feel good. So it's sort of my my uh, medicine to work, you know what I'm saying? Is is and I think by my nature is more on the dark side, so the work brings me to the light side, you know what I mean? And so there's that uh, family, my child, like I, you know, that that's really real to me, and I I feel like at this point a lot of the work is like there's legacy, there's economy, there, there, there's there's influence and. Um, and I just like it, bro. To be completely honest, I like painting. I really enjoy painting. And I have so many moments. I can't tell you when I'm painting, especially murals and stuff, because you paint over like surfaces and you just cover over shit with paint. And the amount of times I'm, I like paint over something, damn, I really love paint. Like I straight up love how paint just covers shit. And you can, I don't know, I have a, it, I just really enjoy doing it. And I think I'm lucky to enjoy what I do most days. And of course there's days I don't. And that's, you know, some days I'm not feeling creative. I'll come sweep the studio. I'll rearrange things. I'll prime canvas. I'll do shit. That's not creative because this job or this work or whatever you want to call it is only creative for a small percentage. A lot of it is, is technical execution, business, all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot to do and I'm not feeling like, ah, today I'm going to paint some paintings. You know what I mean? But, I, I fully enjoy it, man. And, and and if it changes and I start to not enjoy it, then maybe it's time to search for something else. You know what I mean? But for right now, it's what keeps me moving. For a lot of years, music kept me, was the forefront that kept me like staying up late at night, making records and, and sharing it with the world. So uh, purpose too, I guess it gives me purpose, man. Something to work towards, you know? Yeah. So um, I know I've slightly touched on this earlier, but in the next five or ten years, or even sooner than that, let's talk about even the next few months. What documentaries? What maybe collaborations? What projects? What shows are about to happen for you? Um, doing something in Japan first quarter next year, like like uh, March April. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, I hope to release some stuff from the studio around the holidays, November, October. And in the meantime, I'm just painting, man. I'm, I'm 
I'm settling into life in Portugal too. Like I, the last, since, I don't know, man, I think January, February, I took my family to LA. I created a big body of work in LA for six weeks. We went back, we moved to Portugal. I flew to London, opened a show in London, came back. Since then, I've been in the States three times. I've been in Nigeria. I've been in, doing project after project. So actually, you're catching me at like the first week that I've been in the new studio with a clear horizon. And I still have things I, I have to deliver to people for gallery stuff or projects. But like, I'm really looking forward to a clear horizon, honestly. And, and Japan will be next year, which is dope. I love Japan. I'm excited to go back. I'm excited to make work for that. Um, yeah, man. And then kind of just trying to paint. In my, in my business, sometimes everybody wants something. The galleries want something. The projects are demanding. And it's easy to lose that, that just freedom of work. You know what I'm saying? You're looking at something like, I got to paint these paintings because this person needs it. So I'm thinking about it. I just want to paint paintings, man. Honestly, be free. That that's the paradox that I, f- I find a lot of artists fall into, uh, which is like you know you got different hats. You got the artist hat, and then there might be a couple of little hats on that, which is you know the music and also the the canvases, etc., doing murals or walls. But then you've got your family one, you know, yeah. having that on probably your the social one with friends, and then also business. But just talking about those two different ones, the, the artist hat, also the business. I mean. How do you balance it out? Do you have a team or, or is it difficult to do? Uh, in the studio, my wife works with me and she's really helped turn this into a business per se. You know, she, she got involved with the books and got involved with the website and got it really helped me structure things in a way that I, I was not doing and hadn't done forever. Um, so she's, she's really solid, strong cornerstone to where we're at now. Uh, and I don't have assistance at the moment in Brooklyn. I have a few when I, when I need them and the pandemic changed everything. I had people, we, everyone went their own way. And, um, now, like I said, I'm rebuilding here. So at this moment in time, it's my wife and I, and that's, that's basically it. But the hats, I don't know, man, it's, I, I've always been able to go back and forth and uh, it's not, I one feeds the other, you know what I mean? And, and they, they help each other, I think. And, um, I don't keep proper schedule like monday i'm gonna do client shit tuesday i'm gonna be free. i wish i could but like i told you i don't like playing so it like fucks me up you yeah know? but um i think the thing for me is learning to be a parent and honestly it's like the craziest hat because until my son came bro i worked like a madman that's all i did was work like my whole life has been you know 18 hour days of work and i love that shit work being making records painting paintings is that work i don't know but like everything was productive at an astronomical amount of hours. And then my son came and it's like, okay, I want, he's the most important. He's the illest art project. He deserves the most attention, but everything else got to have still and to keep it at the level that took, you know, 60 hours, 70 hour weeks to now giving real family time and trying to wear that hat is, that's the balancing act, man. I think the business and art is like, for me, they've always been hand in hand. So it's an easy one. Yeah, listen, I'm 36 years of age and uh, I've got two uh, sons myself. One of them just turned one and then the other one is going to be four in November. And yeah, man, listen, if you think one's tough, (laughs) (laughs) wait till you double down on that. I I had so many moments. I I don't know how people do this with multiple children. It's crazy. It's crazy. to you, man, for doing all you're doing and holding down the family, you know? Yeah. 
Really appreciate that. What one or two more questions, and I'll be out your hair. So, um, just I, I'm enjoying the combo, man. So it's all good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. Um, me too. Um, a bit like the conversation we had about you know collaborations with Nike, uh, Adidas, uh, you know SLS hotels, etc. They give you. They give the wider audience, maybe not yourself internally, but you know people looking at your market and you as an artist, yeah. validation that social proof and like, hey, this is another box that is ticked and this is why I should be researching this artist a bit more. But I also think equally, if you get someone very influential that starts collecting your work or anybody's work, that's also the validation that some collectors yeah. need. I'll give you an example. Richard Hamilton, when he was resurrected his career, he'd done five shows around the world with the great Giorgio Armani. And that in itself was enough for, for big collectors and high-profile people to start collecting his work. Bruce Willis is a collector now, Alicia Keys, P. Diddy, etc. So is there anyone like, I don't know, I, don't, I know you probably hate to name drop, but is there anyone like high-end high like that that collect your yeah, work? I'm, I'm definitely not a name dropper, man. So I... I'll probably steer clear of that, but uh, yeah, I mean, the people, the famous people own my work. Yeah, yeah, they do. Some do. I don't know if it's changed my career or anything like that, but uh, yes, it, it lives well. Some of my paintings, you know, a lot of my paintings live very well with, with great people. Yeah, you know? because even though you're not doing it to per se give it to, I don't know you know, a, a Drake or a Kanye West or someone like that. But at the same time, there must be this really nice internal feeling because I know I get it. You know, I've had a lot of famous people walk through these doors, not just to, to do the podcast, but to actually buy art. I mean, they're famous footballers. You just have to look online and, and they're there. And when we do sell to those people, it makes me feel good because, again, it's kind of like that. You must be doing something right, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think when you think of someone like Drake or... Kendrick Lamar, so like, yo, they're they're amazing artists. And so if someone like Alicia Keys owns your painting, I respect her work so much and her as a creative and as a parent and all this shit. Like, but I respect her so highly that when she owns the work, it's like a mutual respect. And it's like, wow, that's cool to get that back from somebody that is of that stature. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think that that to me is probably the dope part of that. Like when people that I really think are amazing also choose to live with my work. You know what I mean? I know it's going to sound a bit corny and cliche, but the, the old saying that I've seen in lots of personal development courses is your net worth is determined by your network. And I think that when you have these key influential people, they don't have to be famous, but sometimes famous, sometimes high, high profile, sometimes uber wealthy people. Sometimes these people are none of those things, but they're super connected to themselves and they're yeah. equally as important to your, to your kind of business and, and flourishing. I mean, do you, you know, is that something that yeah, resonates I, with I, you? I, I agree with that. And that kind of goes back to me saying like, you pay to play in New York and LA and London because the, the, the networks are, are like that. You know what I mean? And, I've been fortunate through my time to, to have friends that are that play the connector role. You know, I think that's a certain thing in some people. They're the connectors and some of us are the creators. And yeah, some, some of my friends have been really kind and connected a lot of dots, you know. And I think just being like Nike, for instance, came to be because where my studio is in Brooklyn, my neighbor is a designer for Nike. We walked by the studio one day 
oh, I, I see your paintings are dope. We became friends. And then they ended up pitching a project to Nike that they were working on, brought me into it. And that's one, by having work that people appreciate, but two, being in the right place and paying that rent that some people would say, man, that's fucking crazy. You pay whatever rent it is in Brooklyn, but the people that are also paying the rent in those environments and working in those environments, we're all connecting at a level, you know? And um, so, yeah, like being, I, I just equated to like being in these major cities with, with people that are there to make moves, man. You know, that's what we do. Yeah, uh, it's very similar to our journey. I mean, we're, look, we're in a cool little studio here, but we've outgrown it uh, from a brand perspective and also from an inventory perspective. We've been here for about six years and we're going from Soho, again, I love this area, over the road to Mayfair to Sackville Street, where literally uh, our overheads go up by like two or three times. Yeah. But I love what you said. You have to pay to play. You know, if you oh, want to yeah. be rolling with the big you know, the big boys in the big league and have the best collectors and art lovers and fanatics and then investors, you need to level up. And that's the only way you could do it and take calculated decisions. And totally agree, man. yeah. And you must have taken in your lifetime from the way you paint, the way you live, you know, there must've been some calculated decisions that you've taken along the way. I don't, I don't know about how calculated, but like my studio, you know, the first studio I had, I was paying, $300 and next one was $500 and next one was $700 and next one was, and I just keep, I, nobody sits in my ear except for my wife. She, and, and, you know, she is really the one in my ear that a lot of times when I'm like doubting shit, she'll be like, no, just do it. You, you know what I'm saying? What's the worst could happen? Or she's that voice. But I, I think I've grown gradually. None of this was like a, a leap of faith. Even when I tipped the scales from design to paint, it was like I tipped the scale. It wasn't like I dove off the diving board. You know what I mean? I think the biggest leap I've taken right now is moving to Portugal. I think moving out of New York or moving out of L.A., these cities that I'm connected in, I have a lot of friends. And I mean, I don't know anybody out here. So this is a huge leap. But uh, I, I'm, I have faith that it'll work out. And, you know, if not, I can always go back. It's not like New York went anywhere. So um, this is the biggest one. The studio I'm in is is the biggest studio I've, I've had. And, um yeah, man, we'll see where this part of the journey goes, you know what I mean? Yeah. I have no, I have no idea where it's going, but I trust it's going to be good, you know, so. Yeah, I love that. Um, do you know you said earlier about you back your, yourself because you actually collect your own artwork, and if your, art, if your market goes up, which it definitely has, and it probably will continue over time, the assets are going to go up, but who, who else have you ever bought? Not necessarily from an investment standpoint, but just because – you fucking love their artwork and they're important. Have you bought any other artists? I don't buy it. I don't buy art. Is that fucked up to say? I don't know. No, it's not. No, I don't. I don't buy art. I trade, you know, I've got, I got some pieces like, um, that, that I, I love. And, uh, but yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a, I'm not a collector of art, man. Yeah, I um, I, I, I said the same thing to an artist that we've just started promoting a guy called, uh, Black the Rap. Oh, yeah, 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 French artist, you know, uh, father of stencil graffiti, very, very cool, very connected to the whole Banksy movement. Same. And he's the same. You know, he said the only artist he's ever bought is Richard Hamilton in auction, but everything else has been an art swap. But I guess yeah. that's the luxury that you have. You know, you're, you're an artist and you can, it's your own currency between you guys. Totally. I'd say if there was one artist I'd like to buy that I haven't bought yet, it's Futura. I'm such a fan of his work, man. I love his work. So hopefully one day I'll, I'll, obtain one of his paintings you know what i mean but i think uh 
Yeah, I'm just, I'm just not, honestly, just in general, I'm not a collector of things. I don't collect sneakers. I don't collect watches. I, I mean, I have one pair of sneakers. I got a nice watch. I have like one of the things I need and that's, that's how I am. You know, I never, I never been outside of music and collecting records. And, and even that was like utilitarian almost. I'm going to collect them. So I got dope music to play for people. And, you know, but it, it was never, this is from 1972 and this person made that. And I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm just not that person. And yeah, I don't know. I feel terrible saying that. Like, yo, I don't collect art as an artist, but I'm an artist, not a collector, you know? Yeah, I understand that, bro. I understand that. Okay. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I want to ask you I, one, one more question. Yeah. 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 When I um, set up my own business when I was 24, 25 years of age, I came up with a bit of a mantra and a saying. And even in my gym, in my home, I've got it on the wall, you know, a few times. And it goes like this. Be happy, never content. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got my own reason why I've come up with that. And I've got my own perception of what that means. But if I were to ask the great artist, Bisco Smith, what does be happy, never content mean to you? Well, I mean, I think be happy is be fulfilled, right? And, and that one's pretty clear to me in terms of every what I do, my day to day should make me happy, you know? And then I, to go deeper, that makes me think of like, don't let the external control the internal. So, cause I think happiness is relative and the world around us is crazy. So internally, that's an internal feeling. So no matter what chaos is happening, how pressure the work is, you know, it's like forever working to be happy. I think content, uh, it makes me think of this collector of mine that has had a saying on his wall. It was like success is rented. And, you know, when we become content, we become stagnant. And, you know, I, I always say like with my work, I'm like, when I, once I sit back and say like, oh, that shit is good. Then it's, it, it, I'm basically like done. I should do something else. Like I'm a painter. I think my paintings are okay. They're dope. But they're not, I'm not at the highest level I could be. And once you think, like, once you're content with that level, I think it's time to move on, you know? And then I also think about, we're talking about leveling up. You're about to level up. You could sit in that same box that you're in right now for the next 10 years. But because you're about to triple your rent, you're going to level up. You're no longer going to be content. You just change your comfort zone, you know? So, yeah, stay, don't get comfortable and work on enjoying the journey, man. Think that's that's how i would sum it up great description there bro and look listen it's great to connect with you uh it's yeah, a, been an absolute pleasure i've really enjoyed this conversation i'm very very excited for the response we're going to get after people have listened to this so thank you very much bro yeah me too man thanks for the time thanks for for reaching out and um giving light to the art man i appreciate it you know yeah god bless anytime brother and uh be sure if I'm in Portugal at any point, I'll come and hit you up. But if you're ever in London, which I'm cool. sure you will be because you're traveling the world, then yeah, definitely yeah. come and see I'll us. Cool. Yeah, I know. Thank you. God bless.